Welcome back to They Made Another One, where each week we study an often forgotten installment in a franchise and see how it holds up all on its own. I'm one of your hosts, Corey. And I am your other host, Liam. That was powerful. I was trying to make it sound like I was in 3D. Did it come across? Yeah, I, uh, you know, if you, anyone listening, go get out your, your grandpa's good headphones, uh, the ones that he keeps in that big special wooden box. And uh, put those bad boys on and hear the soundscape on this bad boy, because we're in 3D, baby. Whoa. I love it. Now, it, sounded, it sounds good to me. I mean, I'm only, I don't have those, so I'm just experiencing the podcast in 2D. Right. But uh, right. if there's anything to be learned about the movie we're talking about tonight, is that things made for 3D can still be appreciated in the 2D form, but it would also help if you were in the 3D form. That's so true. however people are hearing this, I think it'll it'll sound good. We'll sound special. Yeah, I, I think so. And I think, you know, if uh, if I'm feeling frisky in the edit, I can, you know, pan some of the sound around and really, you know, get up in there. And maybe I will, and maybe I'll forget. That's the beauty of uh, movie making, I guess. Do you, do you ever think anybody making a 3D movie has forgotten to put the 3D effects in at the end? Oh, shit, man. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I guess I do. I entertain this question for the sake of like entertaining podcast material, or do I just say <laughs> no, Corey? Move on. That's fine. I'm not gonna. You know, we have a lot to get to. Um, we could, uh, you know, check what I think is our final major holiday off the list of holidays to discuss. Not true, Corey. We got uh What? We fucking we got, forget Arbor Day. No, nah, we we got a little visit from a green man coming up later. <laughs> oh in the year, shoot! Yeah. Okay, not so, so fast. Uh, we gotta we gotta visit a hood a little later on. <laughs> that's all we'll say about that. We've got the penultimate holiday experience, and uh, Liam, can you feel that? It's mm. in the, it's in the air. Just feels kind of funny, you know, in my chest. Oh, I know what it is. There's love in the air, Liam. Holy shit, Corey! We figured it out, and it's uh, it's Valentine's Day almost. Edward James almost. It's Valentine's Day. I mean, maybe like maybe someone saw this episode popped up in their feed and they thought I'm going to save that for Valentine's Day. Me and my honey are going to listen to that over uh, dinner. And so maybe it's Valentine's Day for them, in in which case I say Merry Valentine's Day. If you're eating uh, dinner with your honey right now and you have a lazy Susan, if you put the speakers on the lazy Susan and spin it, you'll get that soundscape effect I was talking about. Yeah, that's <laughs> So, Throughout this podcast, we're just going to come up with different ways that audio could be 3D. First, um, you got your grandfather's D-pods, and then you got the <laughs> We'll come up with another one. Later. Well, and it's fun, too, because Discord is sort of garbling your shit, so it kind of sounds like you're coming in and out of, like, underwater. That's fun. Oh, man, is that is that Discord for getting to put my 3D on again? Ah, shit. Uh, Liam. <laughs> yeah, man. The emotion yeah. of love. Do you like it? I do, yeah. Nice. Um, okay. Do you celebrate life, it on the holiday usually? Yes. Um, as of last year, yes. It was my first year with a partner, a love partner. Um, and so we did celebrate <laughs> if you it. you know fact, what I mean. <laughs> in fact, I have a I'm photo. Uh, maybe I could like tweet this out or something. Um, I have a photo of me in front of um, a heart-shaped pizza at a restaurant from last year. And in my hand, I have these giant scissors that came with the pizza at the restaurant. Mm. And it kind of makes it look like I'm a character in the movie Us with these big, big scissors. Um, and so last <laughs> Valentine's Day was my first uh, real 
Valentine's Day. Um, I hadn't really celebrated it outside of, uh, you know, school when you would get little candy hearts and stuff. Sure. Um, the perfunctory la- celebrations. That's right. But last val- Valentine's Day was a big one for me. I had that pizza dinner. I also played um, my first show with a couple of my bands, and it was a Valentine's Day show. And uh, we handed out loot bags with um, little Valentine's Day cards in them. Another band on the bill gave every um, band member and different members of the audience specifically addressed Valentine's Day cards. We uh, gave away cinnamon hearts and stuff like that. So I really went all out last Valentine's Day. and You were making up for lost and, time. That's right. And uh, I would be super excited to do a very similar thing this year. But uh, two weeks after that Valentine's Day is really when stuff hit the fan. You know, that's when March came. Um, and so I look back on last Valentine's Day as like the last... Uh, the last fun I ever had in my wow. life, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so from now on, I'll, I'll certainly be celebrating Valentine's Day. But uh, to what extent? I don't know, man. COVID is... Uh, yeah. Do you have plans for this year? I know. I don't mean plans in like... You know what I mean. Do you, are you yeah. doing something out of the out of the ordinary, out of the usual? That's not, that's not it. Yeah. Uh, you know what I'll do? Um... Brianna's beside me. Brianna, plug your plug your ears for a second. I'm gonna say what we're doing on Valentine's Day, and if it's a surprise, then plug. Well, Corey asked me, and don't look at me. You can read my lip. Wait, what if you type it and then I say it? So I've sent Corey my Valentine's Day plans so that my partner, who is on the bed near me, doesn't uh, hear what we're doing. I'm just gonna read it verbatim. Everybody can live with it. We, Time crunch. We will a cinnamon bun box from the cinnamon bun place. And Corey, if you would like a cinnamon bun, because I do not, let know if you have plans for Valentine's Day. I will get you a cinnamon bun with a little heart as well. First of all, that's extremely sweet. Literally will and figuratively. Be, oh, yeah. So that's I reckon that's what I'll be up to, which opens up uh, the little heart-shaped door for you to say, what's your experience with Valentine's it's Day? It's my favorite my Nirvana song. Jesus Christ. Heart-shaped door. Heart-shaped cinnamon bun <laughs> by Nirverna. Nirverna. <laughs> That's a Beavis and Butthead joke. Uh, what was the question? I've already forgotten. What's up with you and Valentine's Day? Oh, um, I'm kind of in the same boat uh, because this isn't really one that you get super festive about. Unless you are, like, actively partaking in love. So, um, it's not like people get costumes or, like, well, some people do, but not most people don't. And if you do that, that's fine. Uh, I'm more of, like, I'll do the perfunctory version of, like, you would get, like, Yu-Gi-Oh! branded valentines for somebody that says, like, it's time to duel your heart with mine. Yeah, those are fun. Or whatever. And then you do, like, school trades. But I've never really, uh, I can't remember a time where I've done, like, the big, the big fancy thing where you go out and you have this big grand expression of love, uh, with, with whoever you're doing that with and feeling that with. That's not me saying it didn't happen at any point. It's me saying that if it did, it was with, it happened in high school and I forgot. You got a massive sugar high. You, you never remembered the events. You blacked out. 
Um, well, hey, do you uh, do you have any Valentine's Day movies that come to your mind? This one, and I'm not joking, just like mm-hmm. uh, My Bloody it? Valentine as a thing. Great title, man. Really like, good that's, title. That's why that's the band stole one. it. Yeah. I don't know, some rom-coms, I guess, probably. Oh, man. Well, now that you mention it, uh, doesn't um, New Year's Eve man have a Valentine's Day movie? I think he does, and I think we were... That's right, yeah. Well, we weren't thinking about doing that one, I don't think. It was going to be Mother's Day, but we're absolutely not watching Mother's Day. You (laughs) could not pay me enough money. You could extrapolate us uh, decidedly refusing to do Mother's Day on the podcast and and say that we're also not going to do Valentine's Day. Yeah, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but uh, can't do it, folks. No way. (laughs) But when it comes to Valentine's Day movie sequels... I don't know if we'll have anything to do next year. Like, this might be it. Well, what, what... Liam, the beauty of Valentine's Day is building your own traditions with the people in your life. Huh. Maybe we watch Leprechaun movies. <laughs> what if we save Leprechaun until next Valentine's Day? Yeah, and he just becomes our Valentine's <laughs> mascot. Man, so that we... Yeah. Yeah, you know what? Maybe we teased... Uh... Leprechaun back to the hood too. Maybe we teased that a year too early. <laughs> um, when I think of Valentine's Day movies, I think of a uh, film that just celebrated its twentieth, I believe, twentieth anniversary, um, and that's a movie called Valentine from the very early two thousands. Of course, if it was the twentieth anniversary, it would be two thousand one, and that's a slasher movie starring uh, David Boreanaz from Buffy and Angel. And um, from what I've heard, it's a, it's a slasher movie that takes place on Valentine's, and it's a it's a send up of '80s slashers and stuff like that. And I have never seen this movie. Um, I've I've always been meaning to get to it, and it's one of those movies that's so specific to a time of year that I mean to watch it at that time of year, and then when I miss it, I'm like, oh shit! Well, I'll have to catch it next year. And so. Uh, I'll at the very least pledge um, to watch Valentine in addition to uh, the Valentine's Day festivities I just sent your way. And that'll be my Valentine's. And I'll I'll give you an update on that, uh, I guess, next Valentine's Day. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Don't update us next week. We don't want to hear it. That's right. Yeah, no. It's uh, um, We need to save some content. I genuinely just had the thought, man... Happy Death Day really cornered the market on holiday-themed slasher movies because it's somebody's birthday every day of the year. Yeah, man. Which when is do we? Like, uh... Not how holidays work. <laughs> when do we whip out Happy Death Day too? Like, whose birthday do we choose? Um, I have a. Co- <laughs> is that I have a co- your birthday present in August, Corey. I have a coin in front of me. Do you want to just decide on air? <laughs> All right, let's go. Call it. Okay. Heads. I saw it before I dropped it. Uh, it was heads, so it's yours. Unless My you birthday. want mine to be first. You decide. Well, I think we got to do it on your birthday, Corey, because I'm, I'm right in December, and it would it would get in the middle of our festivities, and, uh, you know. Well, problem I, I think that's I think that's a nice August movie. We'll celebrate Corey's happy death day or we could wait until one of us dies and then do the that would be cool the the movie on our death day yeah you know who i think would love that Hmm. our grieving families (laughs) we we have our family (laughs) like we we have our parents to fill the space of the dead no one's ever been eulogized in a podcast before 
Oh my gosh, man. If if I die before we do Happy Death Day to you in August, I absolutely give you permission to memorialize me with the Happy Death Day episode. I did win the coin toss, so I think you're obligated to do it. Yeah, I think that's like a legal obligation now. I'm liable for prison time if I don't fulfill it. Glad it's Speaking on Speaking of things we're liable to receive prison time if we don't fulfill... We have another 2009 horror movie to talk about in the grand year of horror remakes and reboots and reimaginings. Corey, did you just reveal that we're under contract from Lionsgate to do these episodes? Um, am I allowed to keep that in or do you think they're going to be upset if I keep it in? Oh, gosh. Okay. You got to cut it out. You got to cut you it out. You think so? I think so. But like, but no, it, it's no, kind of an advertisement no, for Lionsgate, isn't it? I guess should if, I just if should we, I just if we leave out the part should where I just, they're gonna punish us if we don't do it should I just it would be... should I just email Mark and I'll see what he says yeah you do that okay. and then we'll see yeah. if you guys are hearing this then I guess it's fine um yeah so under threat of direct violence we're here to talk about my bloody Valentine a movie about a lot of direct violence and a lot of indirect violence. But a lot of really direct violence. A lot of exceptionally direct violence. violence. In in all the dimensions. Yeah. Or at least three of them. Much like the visual and sonic dimensions of the film in this podcast, the violence is in 3D, baby. Yeah. So, Liam. It's a good amount of Ds. There's no smell-o-vision attached to this one, but... It's no Spy Kids 4. (laughs) You you can't smell the (laughs) chocolate and gore. Um, Liam, you're our guy. In general, I think you're just everyone's guy here, and thanks, that's nice. Thanks. But, yeah, it's, it's Valentine's Day. Love you, bud. You're the guy. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, that aside, you're also the horror movie guy and the 2009 horror movie expert. Uh, Thank you. So, yeah. would you like to take it away and tell us a little bit about what we got going on here with uh, My Bloody Valentine Three Dimensions? Sure. Well, this is a... <laughs> <laughs> three di- colon three dimensions that's the subtitle <laughs> three dimensions hollow scene it's a, it's a crossover with both cube and the man from earth franchise and f- oh, wait i was going to say final destination but final dimension <laughs> that sounds good they, they should have made a final dimension movie <laughs> that you could only hear because it's one dimension <laughs> And that dimension is smell-o-vision. <laughs> you can only smell the movie. <laughs> Forget hearing. Okay, um, My Bloody Valentine 3D uh, is not the third in a franchise, um, but that 3D is part of the official title, and that's because this movie came out in 2009 when uh, 3D was kind of getting big again, is my recollection, Corey. I mean, we've mentioned before Spy Kids 3D Game Over from 2003, and they gave the 3D a shot there, but I'd say the early 2010s was when it really felt like everything was 3D. You know, every superhero movie you went to uh most action movies it was 3d and a lot of times you couldn't even help it i mean no in my small town yeah. theater i would just go and they would give me the glasses you know we didn't have the luxury of picking the screen we we wanted to see the movie on it was just 3d or bust at the time eh? yeah and i gotta say that is probably my least favorite period of my life for movie going <laughs> Oh, I thought it was going to last forever, man, because it, it wasn't just a quick phase. Like, it was a while. It was years, but it was also so transparently a cash grab. Like, if you think about those, like, real D 
glasses that are just dark tint and the way it just muddles what you're seeing into like nothingness combined with already muddy palettes of a lot of superhero movies and um if you're like me and wear glasses putting glasses over your glass like are you kidding me it was fucking horrible so the movies looked worse and were less comfortable to see (laughs) That's right. And yeah. it felt like it was never gonna go away. Like it's just every movie costs twenty five dollars, and you have to wear these stupid glasses. And it's still lingering, is the thing. I mean, now it's gone on long enough that a lot of times uh, audiences get the choice. Um, you know, you can go to a two D screen, a three D screen, if you have the luxury of uh, yeah. The going best to case a larger theater is IMAX without three D. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But um, as recently as 2018, I guess, was when Aquaman came out right at the end of the year. Um, I think that was the last movie I saw in 3D. It's the last one I can remember. And that was because I went to go see it in uh, my small town, my hometown, and uh, there was no other way to see it. You go, and then it was 3D. So I saw that in 3D. So it's still it's still bopping around, but we're definitely past the... Uh, the huge boom in yeah. 3D where I, it was just ev- every single movie. I can't even remember the, what the last one I would have saw was. And I'm kind of nice. grateful for that, <laughs> honestly. Um, I also, I'm also glad that, like, I was also young enough when 3D was, like, the thing that I was at least kind of into it for a while. Had I been the kind of moviegoer I am now and it was that sort of unavoidable god i would have been insufferable i would have just hated everything because now as an adult especially in retrospect i fucking hate hate it like it's so pointless to me (laughs) well you know what made me hate 3d even more than i already disliked it was when 3d stopped being um a clear filmmaking gimmick and just became so prevalent that i thought it was going to stay every Um, movie was just in 3d because or if it was going to imax it was also in 3d because exactly or movies were being shot in 2d and then post-produced into 3d right yeah that is the worst that's when it got bad for me because 2009 um I, I really think that My Bloody Valentine um, was part of the reason that 3D blew up so much because this movie made a lot of money, man. It is a, it's got to be one of the highest grossing slashers out there, I would say. Like, this was produced here on Wikipedia. It says for $14 million and it made $100.7 million. That's massive, especially for a film that isn't A Nightmare on Elm Street or a. Uh, Friday the 13th, you know, this is a remake of a Canadian 1981 slasher that most people haven't seen. Um, So this might as well have been an original movie. And it was huge. And uh, a large part of that, I would say, is because of the 3D. They pushed it. It's right there in the official title. You can see it on the poster. It plays up the 3D gimmick with the pickaxe overlapping the letters. And so the 3D was a, a big gimmick here. It's stuff is going to come out at you in gory detail. And I think that's I think that's a cool idea. I think that's fun enough. Um, and there were some movies that did that for a while after, like Final Destination 4 is another one um, where things are coming out at, at the screen and a whole, like the kills are designed around, wouldn't it be cool if this thing looked like it was 
shooting into your eyeballs or whatever. But then after a couple years, <laughs> we realized like the answer said, was no, it was not cool. <laughs> yeah, but you know what is cool? Making things look like they're coming off the screen slightly at all times in blurry fashion. But and, and also everything has way darker. Yes. It's not like any of that shit. None of like none of those movies for example were being like color graded with sunglasses in mind. It's so fucking and, stupid. And they should have been. They should have been, man. <laughs> it's yeah, so um all this talk about 3D um and what happened in the years after. We're I'll like say three that dumb. <laughs> I'll say that <laughs> For this movie, we're going back to 2009 when it wasn't as much of an eyesore. It wasn't as much of a joke. People weren't and as tired. And they committed. Yeah, they yeah. fucking committed to the bit. <laughs> and and we'll talk about that more as we get into the nitty gritty of this movie. Um, but when it came out, it was really big. I remember hearing about this coming out. Um, I hadn't heard of the original movie at the time, um, despite being a slasher fan. Um, it was one that, you know, like I said, it's not Jason or Freddy. And as a uh, nine-year-old, 10-year-old kid, I guess I would have been a bit older than that, 12 or so, um, I hadn't heard of those deep cuts. And so this was just a movie that is, I was like, holy shit, this is sweet. It's a slasher movie coming out in theaters. Um, that's rad. And I was too young to see it at the time in theaters, um, but I picked it up on video really quickly from the dvd store rented it and uh i can remember watching it at the time with some friends we threw it on and uh, then when my video store went out of business just a couple years later it was one of the dvds that i bought because i just went in there me and my mom and we just absolutely scooped up like the entire horror section <laughs> went cuckoo for cocoa store. puffs in there yeah, dude, it was amazing. I mean, each each movie is like 50 cents or something because it was just shutting down quick and they had to get rid of all their stock. And so I just have so many horror movies, big and small. For uh, Well, the cases are all the same size, but in terms of quality and notoriety, they're big and small. Like I, I have my Bloody Valentine 3D, but I also have uh, White Noise 2, which is a horror movie that uh, I've, I've never heard of. Um, I've never heard of White Noise. Sounds like we have to... Watch it, it sounds good good for the podcast <laughs> and also it had a horror cover and so I, we picked it up and uh i had the dvd at my house for a good while my bloody valentine it sort of sat on the shelf i might have watched it once or twice with some friends like in those high school years but i don't have any strong memories there um and then uh just a couple years ago when my friends were often coming over to watch stuff in my basement um uh, and we would just get stuff that I happened to have on DVD and put it on. This was one of the ones that we watched. And so I revisited this. So a lot of viewings, uh, then it sounds like. That's right. Yeah, I revisited it. Um, I would say for like the second substantial time, my second ever substantial in my memory watch would have been a few years ago. And, uh, and I thought it was a fun enough movie that I showed it to my nephew. So there was another watch um and he really liked it the whodunit aspect what is really goes a long way for this movie um and so that was fun for him and then uh two summers ago i showed it to brianna because she's a big supernatural fan and she got me into supernatural and so uh i was like yo we gotta watch the supernatural man in a slasher movie um and so we watched it 
and uh, um, double featured it with Friday the 13th, which is um, similar to this movie for a lot of reasons. I mean, it came out in 2009. It's a horror remake, um, not in 3D, funny enough, but uh, that's because they needed My Bloody Valentine to pave that way, I guess. But they they both have... They uh, thought Jason would be too big in three dimensions. <laughs> yeah. Um, they uh, they both have a supernatural star, and they're both they're very different in tone, but they're both part of that 2009, and uh, even more generally that mid to late 2000s horror remake kick. You know, it, just in 2009 alone, we got a lot of movies that Corey and I are gonna get to. Um, Friday the Thirteenth, which we've done. There's also Sorority Row. Um, there's the Stepfather. There's the Last House on the Left. Um, so a lot of stuff came out in 2009, big horror remakes, a lot of stuff that I feel like I kind of uh, like cut my teeth on because those were the things coming out Oof, when I was ow, just coming in. That, to... That's you cutting your teeth. <laughs> These are the things that came out like right <laughs> as I was getting away from stuff that I was just watching on TV. I was getting invested in stuff that was coming out theatrically, um, stuff that felt like it was new to me. And um, so I think 2009 is remembered now by me and probably a lot of other people around my age as um, a really interesting point in horror history where you're getting updated stuff from back in the day. And uh, this is one of those movies. And um, I, uh, I, I had seen it enough um, before Corey and I did this episode. In fact, I just watched it again in December um, just for fun. I mean, I have it on DVD now. And so Brianna and I wanted to watch it because we liked it enough the first time um, together. And so we put it on again. So I had seen it uh, just two months ago. And so to watch it, um, to get prepared for this talk, Corey, I watched the original uh, 1981 movie, which I had never seen Um Funny enough, you know, in, in the last five years, I've really gone deep into a lot of uh, the 80s slasher movies, but that's one I just hadn't got to. And it's honestly not talked about all that much in horror circles. And so I had never got there, but I thought this is a perfect opportunity. So I watched that original movie and then I watched My Bloody Valentine 3D with the commentary track on. Okay. Um, and I got some info that way and I clicked around on the special features and I just kind of explored that dvd disc from 10 years ago so uh i've got a bit of extra information that maybe i can divvy out as we go through our uh conversation but all that is to say um i said a whole lot and so it it ends it ends up with i do like this movie i'll come right out and say that if it's not obvious i like this one and i'm excited to talk about it with you yeah well and it's not going to be surprised to anybody that um i was not into horror yet when this came out that's something i've said a lot on this show haven't seen it didn't really know anything about it have not seen the original we are on familiar footing so i was actually going to throw it back to you again really quick just to get a sense of what you think about the original movie sure yes um so i really liked the original movie a whole lot but i was shocked that i like it for very different reasons it's actually quite a different movie um uh, the whodunit aspect is still there, but it plays out in a different way. I don't want to spoil anything uh, from that original movie. We will spoil 
my bloody valentine 3d um but in terms of the original movie i'll i'll keep it vague but it the story plays out in a different way which made it fun for me because i kind of had it in my head just the way that my bloody valentine 3 plays out and because it's remaking um, a lesser known movie from so many years prior, I assumed it was like a one-to-one copy that it's just updating um, old set pieces and uh, the the beats are all going to be the same. And that's not the case at all. Um, your similarities are in the sort of... Uh, prior evil that comes in the form of there's a mining accident and then harry warden comes back to do some dirty and then a couple decades later you got a dude in a mining outfit doing more dirty and is it harry warden or is it not that's all the same but um uh the movie goes to a whole lot of um different locations uh it has a different main set piece and also it um is not nearly as fun i would say this movie <laughs> really relishes the gore which there's a lot of in the original movie but it's in like a a bit of a zanier way um whereas the original one is much darker in tone even though you do have those slasher kills that people are going to come back to because they're fun to watch it's much darker um and it it has uh an amazing like final 20 or 30 minutes that takes place in this mine and the movie was shot in nova scotia canada um and so the whole movie has this real small town feel and when it goes to that mine in the last half hour and really spends its time there it is an amazing uh third act i would recommend anyone watch the movie just for that like it is it's so unique to any anything i've seen in any comparable slasher movie where it goes in the last 30 minutes before that it it feels a bit uh you could take it or leave it with like friday the 13th and stuff it's like young adults getting up to antics and silly jokes and occasionally someone dies but um that mine set really sets things apart because it's a real mine in nova scotia and you can feel it and uh it goes to some really cool places much like um, valentine's day won't you be mine <laughs> yeah, sure that's my contribution to this yeah. um and it also plays <laughs> the valentine's day gimmick really hard like the the town that they're in is called valentine's bluff and um, that's the name of the town. And uh, um, the whole movie centers around this Valentine's Day dance. It's called Cup- so, Cupid's Lie. Yeah. <laughs> and so it goes really hard at like making it the movie to watch during Valentine's Day. And I think I think uh, it's successful for that reason. I mean, and it's really just fascinating because it's an early slasher movie. Like this is only two years after... Uh, or maybe three years after John Carpenter's Halloween. It's a year after Friday the 13th, less than 10 years after Black Christmas. And so um, it's the, the genre, the subgenre is still trying to find its footing, which maybe um, makes it able to do all that different stuff it does in the last 30 minutes. And so because the, the subgenre hadn't yet gotten 
bogged down by a lot of stuff you would see elsewhere. And so I would recommend the original My Bloody Valentine to anyone, um, even if you've only seen the first movie and even if you don't or sorry even if you've only seen the remake and even if you don't like the remake i think the original is a different enough flavor um that you'd be able to uh find a whole lot of stuff to like or at least stuff that engages you differently it'd be a great double feature on valentine's day that's for sure so it's a it's a really cool one Corey. i would recommend it yeah i mean that's quite the pitch and um I'm interested in it playing into the holiday more because this movie really kind of doesn't uh, like it, it does, but not, not really, you know, like I noticed that too. Yeah. It's, it's, it's no black Christmas, 2006. No. And I mean, <laughs> and few maybe things, more, few I'd say it's are. like more 2019. Yeah. Um, so just to get into it here uh, a little bit more, this movie starts with like a historical flashback where on Valentine's Day, a bunch of miners get stuck in a mine in the town of Harmony. And the only person alive at the end is Harry Warden. And it turns out that uh, the investigation implies that he killed everyone else in that mine with a pickaxe to conserve oxygen for himself when they were trapped down there. And uh, when Harry Warden gets out of his coma, he kills a bunch more people. Uh, on Valentine's Day again and leaves like a box of chocolates. Uh, but uh-oh, there's a heart inside. Meanwhile, a bunch of teenagers have a party at the mine and Harry Warden attacks the mine. Tom, whose family owns the mine, played by Supernatural Man Jensen Ackles, is traumatized in that incident. And then we flash like, what, 10 years? 15 years? 10 years? I'd say it's a nice 10 years later. Yeah. around. And so uh, Tom had left town after this traumatic incident, but he comes back because he wants to sell the mine. And uh, this dude that was at that party uh, is the sheriff now named Axel, and um, which is some real hilarious name for your sheriff to have. His wife is Supernatural Man's former girlfriend named Sarah. And... Um, Axel's former girlfriend Irene is a sex worker in the town and we're just sort of getting a sense of what's up with everybody but upon Tom's re-emergence in a Scream 4-esque reveal uh, the murders start anew and so they're trying to figure out what's up with that yeah man that's about it that's it's the a, film it's a, it's a love triangle in a small town and while that's happening people are getting offed the movie's very small town actually Yes, yeah, both movies are, and I think that's really unique, too. I really, really appreciate that. And uh, really quick before we get too much into that, a uh, quick rundown. Uh, so the cast, Jensen Ackles, as mentioned, uh, Chris Carnell, Jamie King, uh, Kerr Smith, who is also in Final Destination. I didn't know that. Uh, yes, yeah. oh, yeah, now that you mention it, yeah, he's the bully. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Betsy Rue, Megan Boone, Eddie or Edie, uh, Gathagi, Tom Atkins, Kevin Teague, Karen Baum, Joy De La Paz, Mark McCulley, Celine Luna, Todd Farmer, Jeff Hockendoner, or Hockendoner maybe, and Richard John Walters. And so it's directed by uh, Patrick Lussier, or Lussier, or Lussier, I don't know. Uh, pretty con- regular uh, Wes Craven collaborator. 
Um, worked on uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, Scream 2. He worked on uh, Halloween H20 or H2O, depending on your preference. Uh, also directed Drive Angry and wrote the that Terminator Genesis movie with uh, Amelia Clark in it. The movie was written by, has two screenplay credits. One of them is Zane Smith, who has no other writing credits or any credits to speak of on IMDb except for this. And uh, also Todd Farmer, who also did Drive Angry, which I think is hilarious. Uh, Jason X, The Messengers, and Messengers 2. Uh, Patrick Lussier edited the movie along with Cynthia Ludwig, who did Scary Movie 2 and Rush Hour 2. Uh, Cinematography is by Brian Pearson, and the music is by Michael wandmacher who uh did the music for uh drive angry of course but also the bloodborne like the video game bloodborne if you're if you're familiar with that i don't know if you would be um no that was an unexpected credit that's cool and last but not least the special effects were done by gary j tunnicliffe who worked on a bunch of those hellraiser movies we talked about last week and also wishmaster and Candyman. Hmm. yeah I mean, all good effects. He did good work. Thanks, Gary. Yeah, cool. A lot of a lot of good names. That yeah, you just read off both in in substance and style. Totally the names sounded cool, and they have cool credits to them. We're in. Are you in good hands? You know, Allstate, the insurance company. It's a lot like that, but I think we're in good hands. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I like that. A lot of these people have done other movies together. I like when you when you watch a movie. We see a and... lot of that on this show. I feel like, am I crazy? Or I feel like that I... happens a good amount. Hmm. I don't know. I might have to. Maybe it's because I'm examples. the guy who's like it's looking true. all it's of this true. stuff up. So I, I would take your word for it. We. I mean, we find people that do other movies that like we know, or at least have cross crossed paths with other people. But to me, this feels. Uh, uniquely like a team effort where you yeah, have that's like fair. Patrick Lussier and Todd Farmer who both did Yeehaw. their directing and writing duties on Drive Angry and then uh, you also mentioned uh, the same thing with um, the cinematographer I think it was or the the music man and I, I like that stuff that's that's super cool I mean not to mention how cool it is that Patrick Lussier like edited Scream and stuff I think it's always cool to hear uh that a an editor um becomes a director because editors they're often not mentioned like in the same breath as director writer even cinematographer but you got to be so intimately involved with storytelling and i mean camera angles pacing like so much that makes martin scorsese's movies would be a lot worse if thelma schumacher was not editing those there you go so important and you know these editors don't gotta climb the ladder i'm not like there's a mitch hedberg joke where uh he says that people always ask him as a comedian if he can act and he says uh i don't know what that's all about like i don't I just do comedy. I don't. I don't go to a chef and ask them if they can farm. You know. So as an as an editor, they don't. <laughs> you don't gotta make the step, but I think it's it's cool to see, and I uh, I I appreciate learning that knowledge. Um, and I got some nice insight into that when I listened to Patrick Lussier and Todd. Oh Farmer yeah, on, you on know the these guys. Track. You go way I back. I do. 
I mean, I also learned, I don't know if you could claim this from the Wikipedia page, Corey, that Todd Farmer, the writer of the movie, mm -hmm. um, co-writer, of course, with Zane Smith, our elusive and mysterious Zane. Todd Farmer um, was also an actor in the movie. Oh, I did not he, glean that. He played uh, oh, wait, I just said I just said his name. Yeah. I didn't even notice. I didn't even notice. <laughs> he, he was the trucker that uh, is in the motel, and he gets so a pretty significant role, you know, not just a cameo, and... Uh, that's cool too, and and I learned from the commentary track that that just came from uh, they needed an actor in that role who could be comfortable and also like make the actress comfortable and uh, and have like a imposing figure, but also have like a friendly vibe about him. And uh, and because this uh, the writer was like on set a lot and the director knew him well, he said, "Hey, I think." Hey Todd, be cool for this. Yeah, it was. It wasn't like he didn't write that role for himself. Is what I'm saying. We're putting but they just you thought in, he would coach. Fit well. And I think he fits well too. I mean, um, at the beginning of the commentary track, when they said that Todd Farmer's in the movie, I was thinking, who the hell could he be? Because the cast kind of seems locked tight. You know, there's it's a small town. There's only so many people, and uh, they all seem pretty well fit for their roles and so well and there's also that that was several him. actors who are playing characters whose character name is their name there's three of those that's not an insignificant amount it just it feels like the sort of movie where everyone involved had a lot of fun making it together is what is what i feel even commentary track aside i've i've felt that um i think that's the difference between this and friday the 13th uh 2009 um where this is trying to make uh, like a, a really fun experience of a movie. And um, I think to do that well, the cast and crew had to have fun together and it feels like they did to me. Um, yeah. I, I really I like see that. that about the movie. And yeah, before I guess we get to, we're already pretty deep here in the cut. So it's um, true. we're deep, Corey, what about you, man? Well, I was going to throw it to you for a more resounding thing, but I guess it's very clear that you like it. So I guess I don't I really love need it. to do I'll that. I'll say that. I'll go out there. I, I love like it. it. I love it. I'm going to do that thing I do. Oh, no. Where uh, I think my my overall response to the movie is that it's fine. It's certainly not bad by any stretch, but I watched it several days ago, and it there are very few things that also stick out to me as like remarkable. I didn't like hate the experience of watching it or anything like that at all. Um but it didn't like totally blow me away or anything. Gotcha. Well, hey, fair enough. I mean, uh to be fair, it's been a while since I've said something is fine. I think I've earned calling a movie fine. It's been a minute. <laughs> okay, um well, how do you want to talk about this then, Corey? Um I kind of just want to like I don't I don't think we necessarily have to be like, here's this scene, here's this scene, here's this scene. Especially because we've already had so much to say that um, I think I kind of want to take like a bit of a broad approach and that if there are like good examples of a thing that we like, that might be the way to do it. Because um, I'll start with something that I like a lot that didn't really grow on me until like the second half of the film. And it's something I've said already. The small town vibe is palpable, um, but it feels like... I don't know, we're from small towns, relatively speaking. It feels pretty true to that experience. Yes, yeah, I am right there with you. That is something I love about this movie. 
and it's so unique and it takes it does take a while to get there but you you end up like um handfuls of people are having like weirdly intimate interpersonal reactions in the same like couple spots in this town is you realize that's perfectly understandable because this is a small ass town and there's only so many places for these people to be and um being in a small town also breeds a certain level of familiarity among your neighbors and like that you know some of those barriers that might be up if you were among a sea of strangers aren't really there when you genuinely know everybody and even in the town that i grew up in that was not the case but you can feel here that like that everybody knows everybody and we're gonna air dirty laundry as necessary because everybody already knows like permeates in a really interesting way and i feel like um i can't think of a lot of other horror movies that do that with their core cast of characters I feel like in a lot of cases you just get one group at odds with another group, be it teens and like the police or their parents or whatever. But there is like something of a cohesive community aspect here, and that's neat because it's atypical. Yeah, I'm I'm absolutely with you. This feels like these people uh know each other. A lot of times you watch a slasher movie and you think, man, uh why are these people friends? Like, why do we have <laughs> the stoner hanging out with the jock, hanging out with the hot girl, hanging out with the shy girl, yeah. hanging out? Small towns you know, are also I mean, great because everybody ends up just hanging out with everybody. <laughs> so you have exactly. you kind of so, have so to. That's what, that's what I'm going to say. Like, in this movie, we don't have a group of friends that are all on the same wavelength. They're all, there's like witty dialogue between them that shows that they've been friends for a long time. They're all super comfortable with each other it's nothing like that it's just you get the impression that these people are hanging out together and um or maybe not even just hanging out together um because they're sort of fragmented as they've grown older but you get the impression that these people know each other and deal with each other because they have to because they're in this small town and uh you know just the initial setup um of this love triangle where you have uh, Jensen Ackles character Tom and he's dating Sarah in 1997 at the mine and then 10 years later when the movie uh, the bulk of it takes place now you have Axel is married to her like that that feels so <laughs> that shit happens cool. uh, absolutely it happens <laughs> and then and then uh and then the person she that, settled um, for you those conversations also happen <laughs> Yeah, and then the person that Axel is having an affair with is her friend and co-worker at the grocery store. Yeah, at like the the corner spot, yeah. Yeah, and it's just like, you know, even he's not sleeping with um, this other woman because she's like particularly rocking his world or anything. It's just she's like there, you know, and he's he's bored of marriage probably. Yeah, and um, I really like that. I also like how that translates um, outside of the friend group to the police. Um, and that uh, I should have the... retired before this man threw blood all over this hospital. Yes. <laughs> um, Yeehaw, and, brother. And I like the way that the police and the friend group interact with the the secret of this town um like the the history of this town because um this movie 
opens with a prologue at the mine like Corey described but even before that it has news headlines that like fill you in about um <laughs> and it looks kind of hilarious ha- what happened at the mine and it's in 3d too right um and uh it's a very small town vibe where it's like if something like that happened in your town that's the shit that's gonna be on the front page because if it's not that it's gonna be that the eighth grade basketball team won by seven points um i like the news headlines at the beginning um i like that these friends are hanging out at the mine at the beginning when this happens um because you know small town you're gonna fucking party too like (laughs) hang out and drink where you can get it and a bunch of people are just like hanging out at like what is it called like the mouth of the mine i don't know what word he is the the door of the mine the Mm, opening of the mine opening the entry of the mine um and a bunch of people aren't going in and then a bunch of people are but it's not clear why anybody would go into the mine (laughs) like people just sort of are and um it sort of echoes like the feeling of going to a party on a farm and you just sort of end up in a place and you're like, well, I guess I'm here now. Okay. Yeah, dude. And like, if, if you're on that farm and, uh, you see like a dilapidated barn with like jagged nails sticking out and stuff and it's all dark inside some people are going to wander in there to see what's up. (laughs) (laughs) So I really like that setup. And then I like how once we get into the present day stuff, um, you get the feeling that what happened 10 years ago is sort of on, on everyone's mind, even 10 years later. Um, like the cops are sort of talking about it. Um, there's like a tension in the air. And then um, it makes the inciting, I guess, incident that is Tom coming back to the town. It makes it makes it all the more like reason to make a movie about because the last 10 years um, this town has been recovering from the gruesome events that happened at this mine. They all don't really know where they stand now because um, the, the wound has sort of been covered up, but it's not entirely healed. And so Tom now coming back, the son of the, the mine owner, he's coming back a dude who, had to stare Harry Warden in the face as he was doing his thing that would harm the town for so long. He comes back and now all these old wounds are going to be opened up and it, it just, it makes a lot of sense to me. I think it's really unique. It's, it's a, it's a story. It's a story that like goes, it, it it does a lot of the heavy lifting that a lot of slasher movies don't have, whereas other slasher movies might just rely on the setting or on the creativity of their kills. I think this movie has a really good foundation for all that other stuff, and it's the sort of thing that I like thinking about once I'm done. I like thinking about um, how... Uh, how everything went down because you're given a lot of information at the very beginning of this movie. And I find it kind of confusing, honestly, like you have, uh, the, um, initial thing that happened to Harry. And then you have a year later, um, when Harry comes back and then you have 10 years after that, where Harry might be coming back again. And it's a lot, but I think, um, the movie does a good job of putting it all out there, not overwhelming you with it, but also, 
giving you enough that you can think about it throughout the movie and then you can think about it some more when the movie's done. You can go back in, watch it again, and then have it make more sense or learn something new about it. Like, I, This isn't going to do me any favors bringing this up to you, but Sleepaway Camp has a similar thing where um, the boating accident at the beginning, if you remember, where uh, a father dies and one of his two kids dies in this boating accident. And then oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, then, and then one of the kids in, moves in with an aunt and, and that kid's cousin. And um, the more you think about like the movie, especially given what you learn at the end, it's it's like, what is actually going on in that initial incident? Like, what is the people's relationship and what does it mean and how does it how does it relate to the events that happen? And I just I, I like that idea of um, a small community being affected by something i like the idea of a movie having its own lore small lore like i'm not talking like lord of the rings lore or anything but just uh it has this this legend around it i think that works really well for a slasher movie and uh i think my bloody valentine has that sleepaway camp thing and uh makes a lot more sense when uh when it, the pieces are all put together which uh, also does it some favors too so i i like all that in terms of setup and uh the small town thing yeah and i feel like there's there's enough um with the uh that main love triangle relationship i do think it's kind of weird i don't know if weird is the word i want um there's something about it I just find kind of strange how they're both like I guess it's it's born of the fact that the movie wants you to believe for most of the film that it's Axel and not Tom. Uh but I found that there was just there was something about that just sort of rubbed me the wrong way. I clearly can't articulate it well, but I feel like maybe it overstayed its welcome like there was it took too long to resolve it maybe I don't know. But there's just so much of that that I almost wonder if the movie was was sort of trying a little bit too much in in establishing that. I also just think that there, just in terms of what it's doing with its characters, because I think it does a good job like establishing the town overall. It did not do enough for me to really bring home uh, what Tom had been through what that experience was like and why ultimately i guess you know spoilers like we said he's doing this um like showing your character has a bottle of pills is not enough and like in 2009 it wasn't enough either and i didn't i feel like we didn't get enough of that because it's not like he necessarily went through a ton more than everyone else in that situation went through. So I feel like when you ultimately realize that it's him doing that, I didn't really, it felt kind of hollow for that to be the case. Um, I guess that's the word I'll go with hollow. Um, so how did you feel about the whodunit aspect, um, entirely to you was it just between axel and tom and did you have any thoughts about who it would be on the journey 
it was it was between Axel and Tom. Uh, I wasn't surprised that it was Tom, but uh, you know the movie really wants you to th- think it's Axel. I feel like for most of the film, he's sort of presented as an antagonist, um, and he's seen like I don't know cheating on his wife and like doing some kind of shady shit. But in the second half of the movie, they also just show Tom do a bunch of shady shit. So uh, there is there is a point almost where the movie very much kind of becomes. This movie is a lot more about Sarah than I feel like it's about either of those two. Um, be, not just because she's stuck in the middle of it, but because she becomes both target and deciding force. And we spend a lot of time with her. We get to know what her deal is. We we see her going through a lot of harrowing shit, and. Um, that was sort of a fascinating choice because, you know, uh, I guess it's like a bit of a final girl thing, but at the same time, it's not set up from the jump as being that. So that's kind of neat because you, you you sort of think, okay, Tom's the guy who we're going to be with for the movie, but that's not totally true. Um, that was neat. I like it fine. I, I don't know if it was like, whoa, what a crazy whoa, you know, like outcome. But uh, I've certainly seen it done a lot worse in other movies. Yeah, sure. Um, I really like the whodunit aspect to this. Um, it, <laughs> I can kind of see um, that the director of this movie... Uh, edited scream and was like a student of Wes Craven because um watching this movie a bit closer I I feel that really well knowing who the killer is I think there are one a lot of hints as to who the killer actually is I think there's a lot of hints that it is Tom um but two I think there's a lot of uh clever little moments that point you in other directions not only to Axel but also other characters like there's um there's some looks that like your police officers give um and uh honestly at some point i thought that it could be sarah doing this thing um uh, at my watch a couple years ago and i think the the strong setup that i was talking about earlier with this uh friend group and and this small town and all this love triangle happening and um all these little bits of character work that are thrown in there, but I don't feel that any of them are dwelled on so much that um, it points me in any one direction really strongly. Like, I I understand what you mean when you say that the Tom reveal would have worked better if it felt like he had uh, more, like, reason to be doing it, right? If we had... Yeah, I, it more just feels of what he would have went through. It feels weak, and also in a very two thousand nine way, just by showing that your character takes some kind of medication feels like weirdly stigmatizing, and like a very sort of loose, like, eh, he's got he's got brain problems, he's got trauma, and it's like, I don't know, I would have liked a little bit more than that, like. For me, um, I didn't. I don't even think about the pill thing. I forgot that that is even shown. I get the the fact that you can forget is exactly my point. Like, then don't do it because otherwise, it's just like you're just being weirdly disrespectful to a large group of people. Um, I think Jensen Ackles' performance really sells the um 
the trauma that he's trying to um, get through and get past. And he, he feels like someone that is trying to do the right thing the entire time. He doesn't feel like uh, someone who is evil to me. Um, like he's hiding that he's the killer the entire time. I think he feels like the good guy the entire movie because he is until the end when uh he can't be anymore when he's overcome um by the stuff that happened to him and i think that we're not seeing um so much of what maybe did that to him at the beginning of the movie is uh um good because it's not too much of a tell. I think if you dwell too much on it at the beginning, then um, where it ends up is going to be too obvious it, it, because it would be spelled out for you right at the beginning. I think with his performance at the end when the reveal happens and then the montage you get of him uh, doing these things and then you think back as to what his character must have gone through and the fact that he was away for 10 years i think that the movie does just enough to put put the little crumbs out there but then it gives you enough space to fill in the blanks and um the more i watch this movie and think about uh tom's character in that way the more it makes sense to me and and so the whodunit aspect becomes satisfying in that way because once i know who the killer is um, it's an even more satisfying watch, but then it's also satisfying that I can show this to uh, three or four different people, which I have, and um, each of them can have a different guess as to who the killer is. So I think that makes for a really successful whodunit mystery. Yeah, it certainly sounds like you've gotten more out of it just based in part on like repeat viewings. Um, right. That's certainly like a benefit to movies like this that are leaving like crumbs around. Um, was there anything revelatory in the commentary track that's worth bringing up? Um, no, 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 big, <laughs> no big takeaways. I mean, I think in a, you know, if, if I had to listen to a commentary track and have my mind blown by something that isn't in the movie, you know, it should have been, in the movie a bit better you know what i mean um fair enough uh but there's there's just cool stuff like um they talk about uh little editing choices they did um to uh keep people guessing uh they talk about um the how they did the different makeup effects which is um so cool i we got to start talking about the the kills in this movie that's Corey, that's where i was gonna go after some, this i was gonna go that stuff and then i figured kills and then we were gonna talk the 3d and then i figured those were the big things that sounds good to me <laughs> kick it off um i don't know how much i like this uh this slasher villain because it's kind of samey <laughs> like the the minor itself has like an imposing figure and, like, you know, I don't want to be chased by a man with a pickaxe. But despite the sort of imposing physicality and sometimes, you know, some stuff gets thrown around, it is just sort of an angry man with a with a pickaxe. And, you know, that's sort of... You can get over that after a while. Um, I do like the visual trick at the end where um, he's smashing those light bulbs and it's flickering between him 
and Tom, and oh, you get like that was no, that's just uh, that's amazing. I absolutely agree, and uh, I will answer your commentary question now because they do talk about that scene. Um, that was a choice that came up just in editing. Um, so in the scene, you have uh, Tom, um, just as he is, Jensen Ackles, walking down a mining tunnel and smashing out these light bulbs on the side of the tunnel with a pickaxe. And so he's making it darker as he's carrying on down the path. And with every smash, um, you get like a frame, a little blip of uh, the miner in the whole miner garb doing the same thing as the impact happens. And so it's cutting between the two of them really quickly. And uh, that was something that came up in editing. He, he thought that would be cool because they had shot it both ways, one with the miner and one with Jensen. And the miner one had been shot because um, they thought that it might be used in a trailer because it's a cool image, okay. um, right? Walking down and smashing the And then in the movie, you the use the Tom one because reveal. Right, 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 and then he, he thought it would be a it would be now that he had both footage he he um he would cut between them and that's that's the sort of a cool little choice that comes when your director is also editing the movie. So I think that's a great visual as well. I'm with you. Yeah, totally. And um, I think the big thing is just like the gore effects are great. Let's just get that out of the way. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, you got. I hope you love hearts and boxes because there's a couple of those, and um, I, it's just it's visceral. It's really well put together. Um, the only sequence with the killer in it that sticks out to me is the one with Sarah and Megan in the store. That one I thought was quite good. It's not something that we've never seen before, but it's it's well executed and well put together with the actors and just I I feel like it's just well it's a well composed sequence like you are on edge. I think anything where you're sort of like, you've got the luxury of like aisles or columns and things that really obscure view. Um, and like weird everyday objects having to be weaponized is, is good. And, um, they're really selling it. Yeah. And they're really selling it. So I, I, what sticks out to me is that, um, I think it, 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 it culminates into a thing that like mostly I just think is like pretty good. It, uh, but it's it's definitely got good ideas in it overall. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I really like that grocery store scene. One, because uh, it's a cool set. It's very innocuous. Again, very small town, which is just uh, if, if uh, a killer would be coming for you, he might come <laughs> for you at your place of work and maybe that's a grocery store. Um, I like that we get Sarah and Megan interacting, knowing the love triangle thing that's been happening. I think that adds love square. Yeah, (laughs) I think it adds an interesting dynamic, especially because we're getting a bit more of um, the person that Axel is cheating with. Now she is not just um, someone that's separate from the cast that uh, that gets got um elsewhere i think it's clever of this movie to tie them all in together i think megan hitting the miner with the mop is a great addition because um that sort of like uh sympathizes that character like she's not just someone having sex with a married man you know that she's like she's also she's standing up for herself she's uh standing up for sarah you know she's fighting i think that's really cool 
I, I like how much leverage they get out of the grocery store setting where you go aisle to aisle, then you go into a back room and then you go out a small window and you get a really great like acted moment where Megan goes out first, but then Sarah realizes that the killer doesn't seem to be behind them anymore and she's rushing to get Megan back in. I think that's such a great technique. And then after that, um, when Megan gets got and you see the aftermath, it is just so brutal. And uh, when this movie shows it, it really, really Lingers. shows it. Yeah, it's like, hey, do you um, want to see some fucked up shit? Yeah, so the aftermath of the deaths are awesome here. Um, and uh, I think the method of death all throughout the movie, it, I think it manages to be interesting every single time. I, I understand um, that you have a killer with a pickaxe. How much can you do with that? Um but I think this movie gets as much out of it as you can. This feels like the the Black Christmas 2006 of like <laughs> miners, where it's just like every mining death you can think of. Um, and uh, while I mention that, I should say that the original uh, My Bloody Valentine also has that, um, not necessarily for deaths, but in terms of exploring different aspects of a mine. Once they get down to that mine in the last 30 minutes, holy They're shit. They're like, we're using, we're using this whole mine. Yes, I learned more about mining than uh, I ever knew in my whole life. I doubled my mining amount how many, knowledge. How many canaries were down there? <laughs> there was only one, and it was right before Harry showed up. Um, really? No. Oh, man. Oh, fuck. <laughs> that would like, be did sick, they actually eh? do that? They need to remake this movie <laughs> again <laughs> just for that. Um, no, I think uh, there's a lot of r really cool deaths. One just with the pickaxe. Um, it's like it's unique all on its own, right? Like you're, you see one death or two deaths or three deaths with a pickaxe. I don't find that gets old just because I've seen so many deaths with a knife before that a pickaxe is cool. But I don't think this movie settles with just doing your standard pickaxe get i think you get one pickaxe through the top of a bald man's skull i think that's cool um you get you get an a, naked, a naked lady trapped under a bed oh that's great great use of the 3d effects there i'll save that um you also get the pickaxe uppercutting a person into a ceiling which is just amazing you get um a pickaxe through the jaw like through the chin and up through the mouth and then ripping the jaw off. But again, um, all of these is... are functionally a pickaxe hits a person. Of course, yeah, on paper. But I think in execution, in motion, I think they're entirely different. I think they're like, they have different momentum. The effect visually is different. You're seeing blood from a different place. Um, I think it's so unique. Blood from places I ain't never seen blood before. <laughs> Yeah, dude. Oh, and that one where the pickaxe is on the ground and his eye is coming up close to the pickaxe and it's that tense moment of you know it's going to happen but you don't know when and then he ends up uh this 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 character gets the boot on the back of the head and you see the pickaxe go into his head and then it lingers longer than you would think it would. I think it's I think it's just incredible. I I love the kills in this movie. I I don't think it skimps at all. Like this is a hard hard R. I'm surprised this movie got an R. Honestly, it's uh the blood is crazy, and then Valentine's has, uh, Day. 
It also has a long nudity sequence, which I'm surprised was allowed in by the MPAA. Just I felt for that normally... actor too, because like having to go outside and then like back inside, and it's just like that was probably not a great time. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I've heard on the commentary track they said that she was amazing and very comfortable the entire time, that's and she good. made everyone else comfortable with how comfortable she was. So that's cool. But she I made think... everyone else uncomfortable with how comfortable she was. <laughs> she was just letting it all hang out. She put clothes on again. <laughs> she as if she could shoot the rest of her scenes. <laughs> Can we go back and 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 shoot that first mine scene again? <laughs> but I'm completely naked. Um, yeah, I think I think the kills in this movie also stand out. So I think, uh, you know, that's a plus for a movie like this. Yeah. And so I think the last, you know, big thing that this movie's bringing to the table, we spent a lot of time talking about it previously, and it sort of goes together with a, a lot of what we've talked about up to this point, the way the movie is sort of presented, put together, structured, the kills. Um, third dimension in this one. They found a whole new one. Oh man, amazing. We talked about the blood. We talked about the Valentine. Last thing. Let's go. Because we didn't see this movie in its intended format, do you earnestly think the 3D effects in this film would have been effective at doing what they were doing had you seen it in the theater? That is how I, I will pose this question. Yeah, good question. I absolutely do. I think this is one of the best 3d movies out there i say that as someone who's watching it in 2d um i think the 3d element here like the way these kills are framed um the ideas that it seemed to give the filmmakers i think makes for a really dynamic um dynamic action scenes because that's where the stuff is it, it comes in the action scenes um i think it it's really uh um, just really interesting visually um, every single kill um, but I think that the ideas behind them also just work on like a primal level you know um, everything I just described with the pickaxe going into different parts of the body like that stuff is so brutal and they have the makeup there to make it work but I think in 3D it would be uh, even more um I would say like exhilarating, even more scary, um, and even more fun. Cause I think there's sometimes in the movie where it's just used for like fun, dramatic effect. Um, and I like that. I like that this movie does feel of its time because this is a 3d movie that f seems like it came out before the idea became so tired before it became forced on filmmakers and so it feels like all the ideas are um coming from a place of this is going to be 3d how can we make it as cool as can be how do we make it as worth it as it can be and so stuff like the pickaxe going through the bed frame i think that is incredible i just think that's 
2D that's such such a cool idea where you have this naked woman who's grasping for any sort of shield she can. She's fighting as hard as she can, and she has this wire bed frame that we know is not going to help her at all, and she's got to know it's not going to help her at all, but what else can you do? You you know, you're fighting and you're hiding and you feel like you got to use something, and then you have the pickaxe going through the spaces in the bed frame um, and coming at your face. I think that is such a such a good use of it. I think um, the jaw scene when you get the pickaxe going through the jaw, that's an incredible effect. And then having the jaw rip off and just flying over the miner's <laughs> shoulder. Like I, I think stuff like that is uh, it's really fun. Um, I think dynamic. I think the the bullet flying through the air and you follow it at the very end of the movie. You follow this bullet going through Tom and yeah, then hitting the gas tank and explode <laughs> it. I I love that. I think that's awesome. So uh, yes, I do. I love the three D. Nice, movie. dude. I, great. Um, I'm really HBU. <laughs> <laughs> um. I'm willing to concede that this might partially be due to the fact that I'm just not a big 3D guy. If you meet me in person, completely flat. You would never know in audio form. I think I read books based on you in like the first grade. Oh, no, you're thinking of my cousin, Flat Stanley? Oh, yeah, it's a genetic thing. We it? go way back, yeah. Me and a oh, okay. Flat Stan, as we, we called him before... Uh, before the letters L E and Y were discovered, we called him Flat Stan. And I know what you're thinking. How did you say flat without the letter L? And I'm not gonna tell you. <laughs> yeah, because Stan didn't like that. He didn't like <laughs> he what didn't we had like to call it. him without the letter L. Mm-mm, mm-mm. No. Especially because it was so untrue. He was profoundly like less flat, than a pound. The flattest you could be. <laughs> you ever heard of microns? Alright, Corey. Three <laughs> D. I guess you haven't heard of microns. Okay, okay that's fine. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, it feels like a gimmick, and that's fine. Um, feels kind of silly, and you know, it's fun in like a goofy way. But I don't know if it was doing a lot for me to like meaningfully elevate the action that I was seeing on screen, um, or elevate uh like the tension or horror of a given like violent act or something. Because it's it's always just kind of goofy when, like, a big tree branch comes, like, shooting at your face or, like, people's body parts are popping off and flying at you. Like, I have a very difficult time separating um, the reality of however 3D is being used with the fact that it is inherently, like, a gimmicky, stupid thing. And I'm not saying stupid in, like, a negative way, but, like, it's like an amusement park th- thing um, in, a, in a way. So, for me, anytime you know some a movie would have to do something profound in 3d to really get me over that hump and i don't think any of this is at that but that's not me saying it's bad it's just it's doing what i think 3d would do in a horror movie which is have like add a fun element to it i'm not getting that element really <laughs> because it's right 2D, yeah. so it sort of makes the shots look a bit silly without it but i mean i can think of far worse examples of 3d too you know what i mean it's in no way bad um but i don't know if it was really bringing something new to the table for the movie so 
did you find that it was taking away from the movie because of how these things were had to be conceived and that they were presented to you in this 2D fashion? Did you find that it was taking you out of the movie even? Like did the fun was was actually negating the fun? It was um, a, it was an ironic turn of events. Most of the time I wouldn't go that far. I think the car accident's probably the most egregious. Well, it's not really an accident, it is that she kind of does that quite on purpose. Oh yeah. The car yeah. violence um is maybe the most like silly example and therefore the because that's such a contrived way to get the branch through the car <laughs> that um that maybe felt the most like it was taking me out of it but overall no i don't really think so i knew it was going to be in there it's in the title of the movie right like i had to know it was coming it's just that uh yeah i could uh i could i could take it or leave it i think um and you know this movie very much comes down on the positive side or rather the positive side of me saying that something is fine. There's plenty of stuff that I like about it. Uh, it's got interesting ideas. It's got a setting that is unique and it executes on that in a, in an interesting way. But I don't know if it was really doing enough for me to like really go above and beyond that. And there's enough stuff that I just think is kind of strange where, you know, I'm content to be like, yeah, it's all right. You know, if so, if I got in a plane and um, I couldn't record a podcast, so I had to watch whatever the in-flight entertainment was, and the only thing they had was this, you know, worse things could happen to me, but a lot, a lot worse things. <laughs> Would you ask <laughs> the uh, attendant for some 3D glasses? Um, like I, I've seen this movie before, and I think uh, there's a way we could improve it. I would Flight attendant. Plane's got to be able to do that now, right? 3D? Do you think? I would think so. I would... Eh, well... I'm willing to ask. You'd you be willing to ask? <laughs> yeah. Well, because I'm not going to uh... buy one of those 3D TVs that sucked. I'm not going to do that. Remember when Can they... I have some remember... uh, pretzels okay. with the side of glasses? Okay, yeah, so what's up? Obviously, the Nintendo 3DS, big deal. Because it was glasses-free 3D in, like, a widely available consumer electronic. Do you remember when companies were trying to convince people to buy giant, like, 60-inch televisions that had 3D and you had to wear glglasses in your own house for it to work? I'm going to be honest, Corey. I assumed, was that was that? Still, I assumed that was still happening. No, I think any TVs that are being sold with 3D, it's glasses-free now. Oh yeah, yeah, I Holy think so. Um, and Ooh. but also, why the fuck are you buying a 3D TV? Like, there's no use for anybody to buy one of those. But I can't believe there was a window in time where like companies were succeeding in selling people 3D glasses they had to wear in their fucking house. Like that is upsetting. <laughs> but I know, like, what a what a sad image that would be. Eh? Would it have improved my bloody Valentine 3D? Who can say? <laughs> Well, it sounds like you could take it. So maybe, uh, well, well, you know we'll what? We'll never it, know. Where it might improve it um, is where I think the 3D falter is the most for me, and that is uh, the sequences that aren't supposed to be uh, using the 3D in your face, and it's just like characters talking and stuff. Um, I don't know what the issue is technically but i just i assume that because of the way the movie had to be shot to work it was for shot 3D and to work fully for digitally in 4k on red cameras i know that right. um i thought something was up with the frame rate 
at first because yeah. it looks like it kind of looks like a soap opera or something. Yeah. Um, yes. And exactly. I couldn't get over the fact that I feel like in the 3D, the concession has to be like a lot of the lighting is really flat. Like people look weird. Like it it makes the movie look cheaper. You know what I mean? It looks like a soap opera. <laughs> no, I know exactly what you mean. That's what I was going to say. Um, it feels like a like a lifetime movie or something. And so maybe a 3D TV and 3D glasses would fix that because I that was my biggest hang up just getting into this movie. I mean, um the the first time I watched it since like becoming a teenager and or an adult or whatever it was, um that was my biggest hang up and like it took me a while to even uh start to pay attention to the movie and um think like give the movie a chance. I started off not liking it because it just felt cheap and uh I didn't it felt like the like opening because that, like, it felt it be felt bad. cheap and stupid. Yeah. No, totally. It yeah. looks bad and, and that, it feels weird. Yeah, throughout the entire movie. And now I guess I've I've seen the movie enough and I appreciate enough about the movie that um it I can think of it now in my head as like it's a it's charming. Like it's kind of like a 80s slashers like in vhs quality that that maybe don't look great but that's how you have to watch them um unless you like get a wicked 4k edition or something um and so it just it feels of the time now um but if i if i could change anything about the movie it would just i like the 3d angle um but it just technically the way the movie looks basically the whole way through it it feels uh it 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 just feels like cheap i mean you kind of nailed it Corey. and so i would say if anyone's listening to this podcast that hasn't watched the movie yet um and you're thinking about giving it a shot just watch out for that and know that uh, in my opinion it's not indicative of the quality of the movie but it is a concession that i feel like i have to make in watching the movie yeah i i would agree with that though it almost feels apropos that the movie looks cheap and weird being in a small town seeing honestly, as i went to high school honestly, in a small town where they literally shot like an inexpensive hallmark channel movie that's just what happens so that's kind of plays into the movie's hands point. so Corey, let's end this off by pitting the Supernatural Boys, Sam and Dean against each other. We've now reviewed two 2009 remakes, uh, and we've we we have our two contenders for um, you know, these Supernatural guys. Corey and I were talking about how this must have happened <laughs> off air. Um, in like 2008 was the writers' strike in America, and so um, I think Jensen Ackles and Jared Padalecki had some time off Supernatural, and I have it in my head that these two guys. Um, must have like had a bet between each other that they were like, let's see who can be in the more successful horror remake or something. Because it's such a strange coincidence that Jared did Friday the 13th, 2009, and Jensen led My Bloody Valentine 3D. And My, um, uh, My Bloody Valentine, or I guess that's not his name, and Jensen Ackles uh, was fighting an uphill battle by picking the less well-known of the two absolutely yeah and so now so at the time i'm sure it was like uh uh people on the message boards and even jared padalecki himself probably went up to jensen and was like ha, 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 dude i was in friday and you're in my bloody valentine who the fuck is harry warden and it's in 3d here's, here's, never the, thing. Gonna here's last. the thing here's the thing here's the thing 
Jensen Ackles won if it was by box office. Yeah, I was, I was, I was definitely going to ask, which is amazing. That's isn't that incredible? Here's the serious question: three D tickets cost more. Is that the factor <laughs> here? Well, how 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 much of a difference are we talking? It's uh so, my buddy Valentine budget fourteen million, box office one hundred point seven million. And then Friday was nineteen million budget ninety two point seven. It's like an eight million dollar difference. <laughs> Is could that be made up in the fact that tickets were like probably fucking twice as much, for not twice as much, but like. I wonder if that's the factor, dude. Even uh, is like, Jensen like Ackles saying, just mean, the preferred supernatural boy? <laughs> uh, well, you'd get a lot of discussion about that. That that'd be uh, <laughs> I'm, I know you, I'm you come up with Tumblr your, now. You you come up with your questions at the very end that you slip into uh, our outro. But that'd be a good one. I'm just saying it's it's up to you, but that'd be a good one. Um, and when it comes to the box office returns, I mean, I think your 3D point is a good one, that those tickets cost more. But I'm going to say Jensen Ackles absolutely wins because he was fighting an uphill battle, picking right. the Harry Warden movie. And we're talking Jason Voorhees. And even if we're saying, <laughs> okay, the tickets cost a bit less for Jason, he should have been way up there. The fact that... Jason Friday the Thirteenth should have made, should have made like hundreds of millions more dollars than it made. Absolutely, like it it made uh, so little. Like it made a decent chunk, of course, more money than I'm ever. It's all relative. It's life. all relative, but yeah. Also, but, like there hasn't been another Friday since. No, right? like it kind of. And nobody was expecting another My Bloody Valentine, but people thought, <laughs> you know, you don't reboot Friday the Thirteenth without expecting to make twelve more of those. Um. Here's the reason why I think Jensen Ackles is the better one here. I could not possibly tell you who the supernatural boy played in the Friday the 13th movie. I have no fucking idea. I can't really? remember that at all. Oh, which no. which one was he? Rest in peace. He was the one that was looking for his uh sister. Oh, he, he was he was, okay. he was separate from the group and he showed up at their in my house head like, i kept i kept thinking was he the rich guy who sucks over and over again and my brain was just like boot oh. looping and i'm like that can't be right he seems too famous for that no that's that's uh <laughs> that's not he wasn't the rich guy who sucks because the rich guy who sucks Corey, was played by um Edit out this pause because this is going to be a good reveal. The, the rich guy who sucks was played by Travis Van Winkle, the best rich guy who sucks name there is. <laughs> they actually, that's the character's name too. <laughs> Honestly, the, the character's name is is good as well. The character's name is Trent. The character's name Trent, is might be Trent Van Winkle. Remy Bucks a plenty. Okay, but uh, I think we can recall. Um, you know, from the Friday the Thirteenth episode, you didn't like that movie at all. So e even this being fine, it, it, oh no, this is a this is a much more there. enjoyable movie. Yeah, gotcha. Um, yeah. For me, my bloody Valentine takes it as well. Um, I think it it scooped ahead on this most recent rewatch. Harry Borden Hive, rise up! That's right. I I actually have a uh, my bloody Valentine piece of artwork on my wall behind me. Um, it's a it's a painting of. Harry Warden, or or maybe it's uh, maybe it's um Tom Hanniger, maybe yeah maybe it's Tom I don't know, um but he's holding up a little Simpsons uh 
um, Valentine's Day card that says I Choo Choose You. I got it for Brianna uh, last Valentine's Day or her birthday or something. And so that's on the wall behind me. And so um, I think it's fitting that I not be a fake fan here and I lock my Bloody Valentine 3D at like a 9 out of 10. I think it's equal to the original, which I also put down as a 9 out of 10. Um, uh, but before this most recent rewatch, I had it on Letterboxd as a 4 out of 5, 8 out of 10, which is equal to the Friday the 13th remake for me. So I think they're both really valuable. Um, I think they're, they'd be a great double feature just because they're so different tonally. Like I think Friday the 13th 09 is trying to scare you. It's much darker in tone, much more serious. Whereas My Bloody Valentine is your after midnight pizza and popcorn movie. Um, so I think it's, I think the winner is, uh, it's clear in, in terms of history, um, but in terms of uh, both doing something interesting during the writer's strike, I think I think both of them both of them did cool. But I'd say I'd say Jensen has more bragging rights just because he picked the Harry Warden movie, right? Who is Harry Warden? And he managed to he managed to uh, kick off he, Jensen Ackles invented 3D. Basically, it's true, and you know he should be held accountable for that because that was heinous. Yeah, so never mind. Corey likes Friday. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so uh, good job, Jensen. Your uh, trophy is in the mail. (laughs) And, uh, well, we already know what we're doing next week. That's right. Why don't you remind everyone? The Island of Dr. Moreau from 1999, I think. I, I don't know. I should probably have had it in front of me. The Island of Dr. Moreau, 96. We don't gotta get it. We don't got to get it right till next There's week. So man. Many We're not on the clock. There's so many versions. Yeah. We're going to be talking about show, Marlon Brando. We got to get it man. right. Um, and of course, the island of Dr. Moreau was picked um, last week when Corey and I did our random movie. William Castle, William Castle Film Castle Genero. Gen- That's right. And uh, we picked it two weeks early just because we knew we'd be doing My Bloody Valentine this week. But uh, next week, at the end of the Island of Dr. Moreau episode. Make sure you listen, because at the end of the episode, we're going to fire up the Genero again, and uh, we're going to pick what we're doing the following week, and it will be out of 257 movies. Wow, what could it be? Find out. The list just keeps growing. And, but um, hmm? it also shrinks Ugh. every week by one. <laughs> Uh, actually, uh, several of them are ceremonially sacrificed and we'll never watch them. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah, Corey and I, we, we do a ritual. We call man list. style. And so with that out of the way, thank you once again to everyone for listening to this episode of They Made Another One. You can find us all over the internet on Twitter at They Made Another, which is all one word, and on Letterboxd at T-M-A-O. You can find episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, and everything else as They Made Another One. You can reach us via email at tmaopodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, and the best Supernatural boy. Yeah, you did it. Yeah, it's it's an easy one. I didn't have to come up with it on the spot this time, which is what I usually do. Our fantastic thumbnail art is done by Jade Dickinson, who you can find on Instagram at Jade Sketches, and the soundboard clips that I will eventually use again, I promise, are by Jason DeLine, who you can find on Instagram at DeLineMan. Liam, where can people find you? 
You guys can find my film writing alter ego, Graham the Haunted Marshmallow, on Twitter and Letterboxd. My username is Graham the Mallo. And you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mr. Corey Price. And you can listen to my other show with our good friend, Final Neil, uh, MK PodQuest, on all your podcast services and Twitter. We are rewatching the uh, late 90s fantasy action television show, Mortal Kombat Conquest. And in my opinion, it's very good. And uh, we'll get Liam on there eventually. <laughs> oh, yeah. Big crossover episode. Let's go. And uh, with that out of the way, we'll catch you here next week for uh, The Island of Dr. Moreau. And thanks again for listening. Did they make another one?